I'd like to invite your attention to Daniel chapter 7, and we will read verses 7, 15 through 7, 28, the end of the chapter this morning. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until... The Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth, and trample it down, and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings." He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the time and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion, and his dominion excuse me, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Father, I pray that you would Help us to be able to focus on the thrust of the message this morning. Father, it would be easy to get lost in some of the details. Father, uh, there's more than just who the ten horns may be and what the four beasts may be. You had a distinct message for your people when you first gave this vision to Daniel, and that message has not changed. So I pray that you would help me to make it clear. Father, help us to focus ourselves, all of our attention on you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be at work through the preaching of the scriptures this morning and that lives would be impacted and changed for your glory, Father. 
And we ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, the coming Son of Man. Amen. Have you ever had a dream that alarmed you and made you anxious? I don't know why, but here recently I've been dreaming more than normal. But I have to admit, I haven't woken up anxious or anything like that. Curious maybe, but not anxious. Well, Daniel did have that kind of a dream. But the dream that he had and the vision that he had made him more than anxious. In Daniel's own words in verse 15, the dream made his spirit anxious and the visions that he had alarmed him. Daniel was literally, and this is not preacher speak, this is reality. Daniel was literally terrified by what he saw. Terrified by what he saw. And Sinclair Ferguson believes that if we underestimate the emotional impact that the vision had on Daniel, that we will miss an important aspect of the message that God conveyed not just to Daniel, but to all of God's people. Daniel was terrified by the beast that he saw. We examined them last week. They were grotesque. They were hideous. They were monstrous. The first beast was like a lion, but it wasn't a lion. It said it has the wings of an eagle. It was some kind of a mutant. It was a hybrid. And Daniel sees the wings being plucked off of this lion, and he sees this lion being raised up to stand upright like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. Then Daniel sees a second beast that rises up from the sea, and this one resembles a bear that's raised up on one side, and the bear has ribs in its mouth, meaning that it is already attacked and killed and is devouring its prey. And then this voice, Daniel hears this voice that speaks to the beast and says, Arise, devour much flesh. Then Daniel sees a third beast that resembles a leopard, but it's not a leopard because it has four wings and it also has four heads. And finally, Daniel sees a fourth beast. And it's unlike anything that he has ever seen. He describes it as terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong with great iron teeth. Make no mistake about it, this fourth beast was bent on utter destruction. It broke in pieces. It stamped on whatever was left. And then to finish off this nightmare scene, Daniel said that this monstrosity had ten horns. If you read it carefully, you see that Daniel's really, he's fascinated. He, his attention is captured by these ten horns. And as he's paying attention to these ten horns, he sees another horn come up, a, a little horn. And this little horn was different from the other horns. It has the eyes of a man. It has a, a mouth that speaks great things, the ESV says. Other translations say he speaks arrogant things. Still others says he speaks pompous things. In other words, he's a blasphemous little thing. And this one little horn puts down three of the other ten horns. But as the vision continues, Daniel sees, sees thrones being placed. And the Ancient of Days takes his seat. And who is the Ancient of Days? It is God Almighty. Amen. Noting that his clothing was white as snow as a symbol of his purity. His hair was white like pure wool, symbolizing his holiness. His throne was fiery flames, which symbolizes God's divine presence. 
And God's divine judgment and a stream of fire came out from before his throne. And why has the Ancient of Days come? He has come to hold court. He has come to judge. And that's exactly what he did. The text tells us that the books were open. What's in the books? It's the sinful actions of mankind. And Daniel then sees coming with the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man, and he comes to the Ancient of Days. And who is this one like the Son of Man? Well, we saw last week, it's Jesus. It's our King. It's our Savior. It's our Lord. He's our Savior. It's the one whom every eye will see. It's the one whom every knee will bow to someday. It is our believer. This is your champion. And the Ancient of Days presents to the Son and eternal kingdom. But Daniel is emotionally impacted by all of this. More so than I can put into words. But to try and help us to gain a better sense of what Daniel was experiencing, look at, look at his own words in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. What Daniel saw distressed him. That word alarm there literally means he was horrified. You know, we use horrified, you know, when, you know, oh, I can't believe she wore that dress. Oh, I'm horrified. No, no. Daniel was horrified to the point where he was emotionally drained. He turned gray. The color drained from him. Such was the horrific scene before his eyes. So the question is why? What has hit Daniel so hard? Here it is, folks. It's the activity of the beast. It's the activity and the actions of the fourth beast in particular. Daniel is watching as down through the centuries... This fourth beast inflicts terrible pain and suffering on the people of God. That's why he is horrified. Daniel sees the relentless persecution of the saints of the Most High. He sees the saints of the Most High being martyred. He sees the saints being beheaded. He sees the saints burned at the stake. He sees them being imprisoned. Have you ever read the story of John Bunyan? And he hears their cries. Think about this. Men and women go to war and they see things that they can't unsee. And what happens many times, they are affected for life just through those events. And here is Daniel. For whatever reason, God shows him all the carnage and the slaughter of all the centuries. No wonder he was horrified. He couldn't believe what God's people were going to go through. Keep in mind, this was the man who spent the night in the lion's den. This was the guy who was friends with those who were cast into the fiery furnace. But I get the impression here that that was nothing in comparison to what Daniel was witness to. And what Daniel sees reminds me of the the souls 
of the martyrs in Revelation 6 who cried out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? How much longer does this have to go on? And Daniel's so disturbed by what he sees, what does he do? He seeks an explanation. Daniel approached one of those who stood there, the text says. He approaches an angel, and he asks for an interpretation of these events. So the angel begins the, the interpretation. He explains that the four beasts that come up from the sea are four earthly kings representing four earthly kingdoms. Now, there are a lot of commentators who believe that these four beasts that come up from the sea are the four kingdoms represented in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in Daniel chapter 2. I will leave that to you to figure out on your own, to study on your own. Regardless of who they are, what we have here in Daniel 7 gives us insight into the character of these kingdoms. Knowledge of who they are, apart from a knowledge of their character, really doesn't help us much. Here's what God wanted us to see, that these are evil, wicked kingdoms who continually persecute the people of God. And it culminates with the fourth beast, the fourth kingdom, during which his reign, the people of God, will undergo unprecedented persecution. And the vision of Daniel also teaches us that each of these kingdoms are temporary. Amen? Aren't you glad for that? Daniel, thankfully, was witness to the destruction of the fourth beast along with this mouthy little horn. There's something else we need to take note of here, and that is none of these kingdoms, as powerful as they are, are autonomous. They are not sovereign. The vision teaches us that the only sovereign one is the Ancient of Days. It teaches us that each one of these beasts are under his control. And at the appropriate time, he will judge them and ultimately destroy all the kingdoms of this earth. And he will establish his kingdom of which there will be no end. Know this. Each kingdom is evil. They make war. They kidnap. They oppress. They destroy. And by the by the time the fourth beast rises to power, we see that he is clearly characterized by a hatred not only for God, but for God's people. And when Daniel witnessed the destruction that this fourth beast was wreaking on the people of God, the color drained from his face. So what do we learn? What, what, what are some of the lessons that we can learn here? First of all, the vision of the four beasts helps us to understand that we as believers must never be naive about evil. There are those in the world today who deny the existence of evil. Well, sure, some people are worse than others, and some people make more mistakes than others, but there's, there's really no such thing as evil. Oh, there may be, have you ever heard this argument? There may be evil acts, but there's no such thing as evil. Well, where does the evil acts come from if there's no such thing as evil? Evil does exist. Evil resides within the human heart. 
Now think this through, because the governments, the kingdoms, the economic systems of this world are what? Made up, comprised of human beings which have evil hearts. Guess what? Those governments and kingdoms and economic systems will all be tainted by and all will be influenced by evil. So as believers, we should be aware of the reality of, e of evil. We should be on guard against evil. But can I say this? We should not be afraid of evil. Why? Yes. I'll be the first to admit that there are times that we are victimized by evil. No doubt about it. But keep this in mind. The evil intentions of man are always overcome by the promises of God and the purposes of God. Say, so is that your opinion? No, we've got good God's word on it. Romans 8, 28, what's it saying? We know that for those who what? Love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But let's be realistic here. We may be denied promotions because of this evil. We may lose a job because of this evil. We may lose a relationship because of this evil. But everything that we lose in this world means what? A much greater gain to come. Amen? Also, we need to keep in mind that we do not battle with flesh and blood, but with evil unseen. What did Paul say in Ephesians 6? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. But even though we wrestle with these unseen powers, with these powers, we do so with the confidence that they are all temporary in nature and that they will all one day be destroyed. Therefore, every day, what should be your mindset? Loser at home and loser at work? No, you are more than a conqueror if you are in Christ. That's the mindset that you enter each and every day with. That's the mindset you enter into battle with. Listen, if you think you've lost before the battle begins, guess what? You've lost the battle. Okay. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever context you find yourself in, God's grace is sufficient. God's strength is enough. As you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can what? Put to death the deeds of the flesh and be on guard against the forces of evil. We meet after the angel reveals to Daniel what the four beasts represents which was obviously bad news for the people of God, he then gives Daniel some good news. Look at verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom. Now notice this. Forever, forever, and ever. Keep that in mind because we'll contrast that hopefully here in a few moments. So the suffering of God's people would be severe, but it would be temporary. And in relation to eternity, it would be short. After which... God's people will experience that eternal weight of glory that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. So I thought it might be a good idea here just to remind ourselves of God's promises of an eternal king and eternal kingdom. Sometimes we just get so locked into this world that we forget that there's a whole lot more to come. So let's start with Isaiah chapter 9. Might remind you of Advent. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
And the garment shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his garment and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Then Luke chapter 1, he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. What? There will be no end. Psalms 2, I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Beloved, know this. What we experience in this life on this earth is not all there is. So therefore we should not live as if this is all there is. There's coming a day when there will be no more discouraging news from the doctor. When there will be no more heartache, no more sorrow, no more depression, no more boredom, no more mental illness. There is coming a king and a kingdom unlike anything we have experienced in this life. So God's people should pray as we did in prayer meeting. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. When Daniel presses the angel for more information. He needs to know more about this fourth beast. The beast that he can only describe as terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong with his great iron teeth. And he reiterates in verse 19 that it uh, devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. So we have to ask ourselves this question. What is it that this fourth beast is devouring? What is it that this fourth beast is stamping on with its feet? Well, it's not a what Unfortunately, it's a who. Look at verse 21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Reality check. Health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. Reality check. The fourth beast and this little horn are Satan's war machine. What is so horrifying to Daniel is what this beast is doing to God's people. And what Daniel is seeing is Satan's war on God's people down through the centuries. Again, I cannot overemphasize this fact. Daniel is witnessing the slaughter of millions and millions and millions of God's people throughout time. No wonder he was horrified. Well, Hebrews 11 teaches us that some of God's saints suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They wandered about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of this world. Why? Because they wanted to. No, because they were being persecuted for their faith. Paul wrote to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, notice what Daniel says in verse 20 about this little horn, that it seemed greater than his companions. As one commentator wrote, the little horn may have seemed greater than the other horns because of its intelligence, its big mouth, 
in this belligerent attitude. And as Daniel watches, this little horn wages war with the saints. And from a human perspective, it seems as if he gains the upper hand on God's people. It appeared that he would succeed in wiping out the people of God. But thankfully, what does Daniel see next? He says, the ancient of days comes to hold court. He's coming to judge the evil kings and evil kingdoms. Now notice this. In verse 22, Daniel emphasizes that this judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. Let that sink in. This great judgment that is coming, God is not only vindicating himself, he's vindicating his people. All the rights will be, all the wrongs will be made right. All the injustice will be corrected. All the evil will be punished, banished, you know, what we're, what we're seeing here is the promise of God that's being fulfilled. Say, what promise are you talking about? Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If you need an example of that, go back to Daniel chapter 7. When you're, te when you're tempted to take vengeance on your own, to strike out, to lash out at people, don't waste your time trying to get back at people. Don't waste your life doing things like that. Trust in God. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Then the angel continues his interpretation, verse 23. He says, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. This is all bad news, folks. Say, this is not a very uplifting, inspiring message. Ah, but this isn't the whole message. Verse 25 goes on about this little horn. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints the Most High. Now notice this guy. I can take just about all kinds of people. You know one kind of person I have a really struggle with? An arrogant person. Well, here's Mr. Arrogant right here. And shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. What does that phrase mean? Just so you know, it's not to be taken literally. What I mean by that is he, the, this little horn will be allowed to run a course, but it's not an eternal course. It is a finite course. It is a limited course of time. Okay? So don't try and read into it. Is this the three and a half years? No. No, it's not. Doesn't say years, does it? So how you be sure it doesn't say years? It doesn't say years. <laughs> and if you say time, times and half a time, that's a period of time. Done years. But this little horn, he seeks not only to destroy, he seeks to defame he speaks blasphemous words against the Most High. He wears out the saints of the Most High, which, which literally means that he will oppress and persecute them to the point where they look like a worn-out sandal, limp, almost lifeless. 
And he's even so bold as to attempt to change the times and the law. Say, what law? Well, this really isn't too hard to interpret, is it? He hates God, so guess which law he wants to change? God's law. He'll be so arrogant, he will try and dethrone God, and he will try and take the place of God. He will try and dictate not only when people worship, but who they worship. He will try and change the very laws by which they must live their lives. But thankfully, his time will be limited. Again, he will continue for a time, times and half a time. He'll rise to power, time, times. He'll gain some momentum. He will look like he's unstoppable. Then all of a sudden, it's half a time. He's done. He's gone. It's a temporary kingdom. Contrast that with the kingdom of God that will be given to the Son. It's forever, forever, and ever. In other words, it will never end. Verse 27, the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So the persecution of God's people by the little horn will be again limited for a limited time. And at the end of that time, judgment comes. Now listen to the words of Jesus. Oh, excuse me. Let's look at Daniel 7, 26 first. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away. Whose dominion? Fourth beast, little horn, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So Daniel knows that God is coming and Daniel knows that he is going to execute judgment. And Daniel knows that there's going to be an eternal kingdom given to the Son of Man and to the saints of the Most High. But I find what he says in verse 28 somewhat surprising based upon what he knows. He says, as for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. Well, wait a minute, Daniel. You've been witness to the victory. You should be taking a victory lap. God is won. God is triumphed. But yet he's still terrified. He turns pale. His color changes. Why? I cannot emphasize this enough. Because of the devastation and the persecution of God's people throughout time. He was eyewitness to all of it. He knew it would end, but he did not know when it would end. And that disturbed and that distressed him. These, the actions and the activity of the little horn alarmed him. Say, who is the little horn? Do we have any idea who the little horn is? He's not, what would you say, is Nicholas Carpathia in the Left Behind movies. But he is the Antichrist. Say, so how, how so? Well, the New Testament identifies this little horn as the man of lawlessness, which is identified as the Antichrist. And we see 
His character, again, verse 25, he speak, speaks words against the Most High. He wears out the saints. He attacks God. He attacks the people of God. If you, if you want to go in your Bibles, you can go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, or I can read the verses to you. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul describes the actions of the man of lawlessness. For instance, in verse 4, who referring to this man of lawlessness, opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, <coughs> excuse me, proclaiming himself to be God. What's he doing? He's attacking God. Then a few verses later, verses 9 and 10, the coming of the lawless one is by, notice this, the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So Paul wrote that this time the, the believers in Thessalonica were being bamboozled by somebody else who said, hey, the Lord has returned and you missed it. And he writes this to comfort them. He wrote this telling them that that time has not yet come, that this time is still in the future. And I love the heart of the, the Apostle Paul here because he writes with the heart of a pastor in verses 1 through 3. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or, by a, or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Paul goes on to say in 2 Thessalonians that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He was already at work in the day in which Daniel lived. And he continued to work up until this very day and will continue to work until the end of time. Now notice that Paul says that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and when the one who's restraining him is removed, then he, the man of lawlessness, will be revealed. Someday we will clearly know who the Antichrist is, but again, who he is personally is not as important as what he does, what his design is. No sooner is he revealed, he's destroyed. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will, will be revealed. Now notice this, Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing the, at the appearance of his coming. Say, are there dark days ahead for Christians? Yes, the Bible's clear. And that's why I said in prayer meeting, we should appreciate the fact that for whatever reason, at this point in time, God has allowed the church here in America and other parts of the world to operate apart from that persecution. We must be good stewards of this opportunity. Let's not be lulled into complacency and think that we will be able to exist like this forever. I don't believe that we will. Say, why didn't you wear all black today and be a prophet of doom? 
I'm just being honest with what the scriptures say. And when we keep this big picture in mind, it, it keeps us from being so petty about things, doesn't it? I want you to remember that the message of Daniel 7 is not about the little horn. It's not about the man of lawlessness. It's not about the Antichrist. Here's the message of Daniel 7. It is this. God's people will receive the kingdom. We see in verse 18. See in verse 22. We see in verse 27 of Daniel chapter 7. Jesus said in Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared from you from the foundation of the world. God's people will receive the kingdom. But beloved, understand this. It is a kingdom of suffering. What did Daniel see? He saw suffering to such a degree that it drained the color from his face. He saw the people of God persecuted. He heard their cries. And why were they being persecuted? Because they were the saints of the Most High. Why do they cry out even today? For one reason. They're God's children. Some, after hearing this message, might say, no thanks. It's not a kingdom I want any part of. I don't want to be a part of that kingdom if it involves suffering. Well, if you think that way, beloved, you're deceiving yourself. The suffering of the people of God is temporary. There is coming a day when the Ancient of Days will take his rightful place and he will execute justice on behalf of his people. This is one fact of life. Everybody suffers. Everybody suffers. And all who are not a part of God's kingdom, all those who are not believers will also suffer. But here's what I must tell you. Though the suffering of the believer, of the people of God is temporary, the suffering for those outside of the kingdom of God is eternal. It may be delayed. You may not suffer like Christians do in this life. It may be delayed. It's the goodness of God. It's the grace of God delaying your suffering, trying to bring you to repentance. But when it starts, it will never end. In these verses I just read from Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said that he placed the sheep. So what's that mean? That's his children. That's, that, those are his people. He'll place them on the right. And the goats, say, who, who are the goats? Well, those are not his people. Those are the ones who have rejected Christ. Those are the ones who saw, never saw themselves as sinners. They never repented of their sins. These are the ones who thought they were good people. He will set those people on the left. So what happens to these people? Well, Jesus tells us in verse 41, the same passage, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse it into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Those on the left may escape the suffering in this life, 
They may have escaped the suffering for a little while, but that doesn't mean they won't suffer. It just means that the choice that they have made will lead them to a far greater suffering, both in intensity and longevity. They will suffer for eternity. See, the question, folks, is not will you suffer. The question is where will you suffer? Here, as a part of God's kingdom, or in hell for all of eternity? I want this question to ring in your mind until you're settled. Where are you, on the right or the left? Father, thank you for preparing us for what's to come. And Father, I don't have a time frame because you haven't given us a time frame as to when these things may happen. But we do know that we will be persecuted if we live a godly life. We may not be imprisoned. We may be. We probably won't be burned at the stake. We probably won't be beheaded like those were during the Inquisition and other periods of history. But, Father, we may lose a job. We may be ridiculed. We may be made fun of. We may be ostracized. We may be sued. But, Father, during those times, help us to go back to your word and know that it is temporary. And that is, it is preparing us for a far greater weight of eternal glory. And Father, as I said in our prayer meeting this morning, may we not forget our brothers and sisters in Christ who even today are undergoing persecution. And Father, I pray that they would be comforted by this message that you gave to Daniel. Father, that's why you gave it to Daniel, to help comfort them, to let them know that they will receive a kingdom. And we do pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Father, for those who may not be a believer and they're here this morning, I pray that you would use this to draw them to yourself. May they realize that, hey, the goodness of God that has allowed me to escape suffering, there's a reason for it, there's a purpose to it. He's trying to draw me to himself. And the Holy Spirit opened their eyes to the reality of their situation. Father, we're grateful for all of your grace and your mercy that you shower on us. Though the message today may not have been as inspirational as we would like, there is joy in it. Suffering is but for the moment. But the glory we will experience is for all eternity. And we thank you for it. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.